With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. Superchargers, headlights, and more with over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. The volume. It's Boxing with Chris Mannix presented by FanDuel. Football season is underway. Basketball is right around the corner, and there is no better place to get in on that action than FanDuel. The app is safe, secure, and easy to use. FanDuel always has exclusive offers when you win you'll get paid fast. FanDuel has a lot of ways to play, like the spread, money line, over-unders, team totals, player props, and so much more. Jump into the action at any time during the game with live betting, combine multiple bets from the same game in a same-game parlay, and try out the same-game parlay plus. So use the promo code BOXING and download the FanDuel app today to make every moment more during this football season. And get ready, NBA season is right around the corner. This is Boxing with Chris Mannix. Oh, somebody punch him in the face. Anthony Joshua is a composed and ferocious finisher. Watch this. Andy Ruiz is the heavyweight champion. Hosted by SI's Chris Mannix. That was my moment. Now with interviews, analysis, and everything going on in the world of boxing. When you have talent, you are given another chance. Here's Chris Mannix. And we are back. Boxing with Chris Mannix, part of the Volume Sports Podcast Network. A lot to get into today. A lot going on in the world of boxing. We're going to talk about the latest developments with Connor Ben. We're going to get into some contract negotiations going on. Errol Spence, Terrence Crawford, is that going to happen? Ryan Garcia, Gervonta Davis, is that going to happen? We've got a loaded fight weekend. We've got Devin Haney back in Australia. Deontay Wilder in Brooklyn, one of the best women's card, maybe the best women's card of all time over in the UK. We're going to dive into that a little bit later in the show. Caleb Plant, the former 168-pound champion, he is back this weekend as well. I'm going to talk to Caleb about the loss to Canelo Alvarez and how he kind of sees his career moving forward. To help me with all those topics, Keith Eidek, senior writer with BoxingScene.com, good friend of the podcast, he is back on the show. Keith, what's up, man? Hey, Chris, what's going on? A lot, apparently. Um, and a lot going on outside the ring and inside the ring. Um, I know you're in New York going to the Wilder Hellenius headline show uh, this weekend, so I want to get into that. But I want to go outside the ring to start, Keith. And I want to go over to the UK and address the latest mm-hmm. developments with the Connor Ben uh, situation. Uh, Connor Ben, of course, uh, it's been about a week since his scheduled fight against Chris Eubank Jr. was canceled. This uh, a response to Ben testing positive for clomiphene, a female fertility drug. 
Earlier this week, the Daily Mail, which broke the original story, reported that Ben is being investigated for potentially failing a test for the same substance. Here is Eddie Hearn speaking on the Matchroom Boxing YouTube channel about Conor Ben. Yeah, obviously he's got a big fight on his hands. You know, um, there's a lot of information we know about the testing that will come to light. Everyone's very quick to make their assumptions, as always in this situation. We've seen it before. You know, the, the story stopped the fight. The, the commission had made their decision before any story came out in the media. And we had to go through that process because, as I said, once you find out the information regarding the testing, it was a difficult position because it, people were comfortable with the scientific facts around that. So we wanted Conor Ben to have his opportunity, as many have before, to be heard. That will now happen post fight and obviously the fight not taking place but let him let him have that time let him have that moment he has to go out and obviously it's a very important time for him now because some people have made their mind up as they've done before let the facts come out and, and make your decision so Keith based on what we know right now how much trouble do you think that Connor Ben is potentially in you know, Chris, it's hard to say, really. Uh, he's in trouble, for sure. I mean, he's obviously tested positive for what is a known masking agent, and I think that's uh, they're getting him in some some hot water. But, uh, you know, look, everyone has their version of, of what the truth is, you know, and he's, he's running around telling people now that everyone's going to owe him an apology, which is probably a reach. But, uh, look, I, I haven't met a PED abuser yet who has said, yeah, I did it. Yep, you got me. I mean, well, maybe uh, Mark McGuire, I guess, finally said that. But um, but most of them don't. And in and, and virtually every sport, you know, everyone's, they have no idea how it turned up in their system and they have a you know, multitude of excuses, whether it's contaminated beef from a taco truck or, uh, you know, they put something in their system from GNC that they weren't aware was on the label. You know, there are always excuses. Uh, look, there's a lot of money at stake in this sport, Chris, and as you and I well know, People are going to take shortcuts and, um, you know, Jarrell Miller being the most uh, disgusting example of it in recent memory, uh, the audacity that he had to do what he did multiple times. Um, so I really wish as someone whose uh, livelihood is wrapped up in this sport, and I know yours is as well, and you care about the well-being of the people who put their lives at risk, I, I really wish the sport would be better about policing PEDs. And we've made some strides. Many, 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 many more strides need to be made to clean up this sport. Um, I don't think that it helps when a guy fails a test and you have promoters, uh, networks, whomever is involved, uh, pushing for the event to move forward. When you fail a test, uh, particularly for something that is, a, in, in this case, a known masking agent, um, you know, the event should be canceled. Or, or postponed, you know, they, they certainly could fight again somewhere down the line as long as they pass all their PED tests. My primary problem with this, Chris, is that what is the point of doing VADA testing? And I'm not saying uh, VADA is infallible and is uh, the be-all and end-all, but they are the gold standard in boxing that we have now for PED testing. And this is the second time in uh, barely a year where we've had a fight where a fighter has failed a VADA test one of the fights went forward, as we well know, last year, Oscar Valdez against Robson Conceição. That fight went forward despite Valdez failing a test. And we were damn near close to one of the biggest events in British boxing history moving forward last week, despite that Conor Ben tested positive for a pretty serious PED because Chris Eubank was willing to go along with it. There was a lot of money at stake, et cetera. Now, 
these guys oftentimes have to be saved from themselves, Chris. I mean, in a variety of ways, not just as it relates to PEDs. Fighters, you know, have huge hearts and don't always think with their heads and, and are willing to do a lot of things that are too risky. And in this case, the only positive thing I could say about this is that the British Boxing Board of Control did not allow this event to move forward because if it did, it would have been an utter disgrace and, and disrespectful, frankly, to everyone who laces up gloves for a living. Yeah. Um, so Sergio Moore and I got into this last week and we kind of covered, you know, what could happen. I, I think the most interesting recent development, Keith, is that Daily Mail report that says Connor Ben is being investigated for potentially testing positive once before for this, because that would take this to a different level, right? Like if you test positive for this same substance twice in a couple of years or whatever the timeline may be, you know, that puts you in kind of a new category of offender. Now we don't know if that's true or not. As you said, mm -hmm. Connor Ben took to social media and said, look, I hope the apology is as strong as the critique or something along those lines. And, Eddie Hearn has kind of vaguely promised that, you know, there would be evidence presented on behalf of Connor Ben, but this is pretty serious. I mean, like if Connor Ben cannot come up with a reason this drug was in his system, it seems like he's facing a lengthy suspension. I don't know. There's a, there's not a, a, a letter of the law here, right? There's not like a, you test positive for X, you get Y, in terms of suspension, but it seems to me if the if the UK um, if, if the if the British Board of Control is investigating this now, and they see these VADA results, and they see the same things that VADA saw, that there's a pretty good chance they come down pretty hard on Connor Ben. And and again, if if it turns out to be true that this drug was in his system before, that makes it even worse. I, I just you know I I don't know I don't know how he's going to wriggle out of this because at this point no one in his camp has even floated a reason this would be in his system like nobody and that that to me is the most mm. you know damning part of all this you'd think that like you'd think that at least be like after a few weeks have gone by there'd be some kind of excuse that they'd be ready to to roll out there at this point there has been none and unless we're missing something i don't know that there is going to be one that validates this substance being in Conor Ben's system. Yeah, you're right, Chris, but I would just say, uh, you know, in, in fairness to Conor Ben and every fighter who fails a test, I mean, give him his due process. Let's see how it plays out. And if he cannot come up with some reasonable excuse and he is suspended, well, then he'll have to pay the, uh, the you know, do the time for the crime, so to speak. Um, you know, but he'll fight again. You know, even if he gets a, a multi-year suspension, he will fight again. But, you know, of course, from the outside looking in without knowing exactly what Connor Ben is putting into his system and why, uh, you know, it looks pretty bad when you've agreed to move up 10 pounds and going about putting on weight in a, in a way that will make you hold up against a bigger, stronger fighter who has fought as high as 168 pounds and not only fought at 168 pounds, was pretty successful and had knocked guys out at that high weight. Now, you know, Chris Eubank was coming down to what would have been the lowest weight of his career at 157. Um, so, you know, you don't know how that was going to affect him either. But, you know, he's when you wonder why Conor Ben thought it was a good idea to move up 10 pounds and, and technically two weight classes to go fight Chris Eubank Jr., well, maybe he had 
enhanced confidence because he was using a PED. Now, again, he deserves his day in court, but it certainly looks bad from the outside looking in that he goes and takes this huge challenge and then gets, you know, then tests positive. And then there's the, you know, like you said, the Daily Mail story that said he has tested positive previously. I think there was a point when maybe he was removed from the WBC rankings. Not he was. failed to test yeah, necessarily. He, was, he, but, he left. Yeah, he left the program. Right. He, he was not in he, either. He wasn't briefly. enrolled in it originally or he what whatever the case is, he was temporarily removed from the rankings because he wasn't being tested by VADA. And again, you know, whatever people think of VADA or WADA or you, you know, all of these testing organizations in, in our sport. Vada is the standard. And it, again, I just don't understand why you're going to pay what it what is a substantial amount of money to make sure that these guys are clean. And then when they're dirty, try to move forward with the fight anyway. I mean, like it, it's insulting to people and, and mostly to fighters who are clean because there are plenty of clean fighters out there. While I think there are probably more guys using PEDs than we'll ever know, I think the vast majority of the fighters are clean. And, you know, when you put, I mean, this is, again, you know, we've had this conversation before, Chris, and as of many others, this is not hitting a baseball further. This is not, you know, uh, enhancing your ability to block, you know, football's a little more dangerous, of course, but, you know, enhancing your ability to block or to be stronger on the football. I mean, you, you could kill somebody. So when you take these types of shortcuts and, and take someone's life in your own, quite literally in your own hands, I mean, the, the penalties couldn't be harsh enough for me. I agree, and that's why I'm very interested to see what Connor Ben and his team come up with over the next few weeks. Because if it's not credible, if it's not believable, um, the British Boxing Board of Control, other organizations should come down pretty hard on him because it it is incredibly dangerous to take a banned substance to get into the ring, and I, I hope that gets uh, recognized as a result. Yeah. Um, all right, let's look at a couple of more compelling negotiations. We are now. Five weeks away from the once-targeted date for the welterweight showdown between Errol Spence and Terrence Crawford, and there is still no deal. Floyd Mayweather, he came out recently, and after referencing his relationship with Spence's advisor, Al Heyman, Floyd said, as of right now, the Spence-Crawford fight is not happening. Steven Espinoza, the president of Showtime Sports, he was asked about the fight last week. Here's what he had to say. You know, these things take a life of their own. Um... You know, the reality is I'm not even sure how the November 19th date got out there and all of a sudden it was written in stone. So the reality, there's there's been a lot of dates that we've talked about and November 19th is one of them. Um, look, I'm as anxious as a fan as anybody else to get this done. Um, and I know there's two more anxious people than me and that's, you know, that's Errol and, and Terrence, you know, and they want uh, to get this fight done as quickly as anyone. But the reality is these fights take time. I know everyone's impatient. I want everyone needs to wants it done yesterday but the reality is it's a complex deal there's a lot to negotiate um i still think it's on track i you know i I caution people all along the way keith you and i spoke on this podcast about a month ago we both seemed to believe at that time that this fight would happen on november 19th it seems Highly unlikely, to say the least, that that's going to happen on November 19th. What is going on right now with these negotiations? Well, they're still negotiating. That's <laughs> that's that's what's happening. Uh, you know, they keep assuring people, and by they, I even mean Errol Spence. Errol Spence has tweeted himself that the fight's happening. Don't worry, it's next. Don't worry. Um, 
you know, Terrence Crawford hasn't said as much quite as, as, uh, as Errol Spence, but you know, people internally are saying, everybody calm down. The fight is going to happen. It's, it's taking longer than we thought. There are a lot of things at play here in terms of uh, splits and, and contract details that we're not going to make everyone privy to. Uh, it is going to come together. Both guys want the fight. Uh, certainly Terrence Crawford would appear to have less um, appetizing options, I would say, than Errol Spence does. I mean, Spence has more options. Of course, nothing is appealing as Terrence Crawford, but he does have more options on the PBC side. But I think both guys really want the fight. Um, you know, they're working out these, a lot of these details that, you know, so, you know, Terrence Crawford uh, wants full transparency, which why shouldn't he get full transparency? He's taking a gamble here on his, on a percentage. So of course he should, you know, have full transparency in terms of what all the numbers are. Um, I think the fight will eventually come together. Now, maybe we don't see it until February, you know, and I don't love Terrence Crawford coming into this fight off of what would then be a 14 month layoff. I don't like it. Uh, but you know, he didn't fight for a year from the time he fought Kell Brook, which wasn't all that much of a fight until the time he fought Sean Porter. And I got to say, he looked pretty damn good. So you know, maybe at this point in his career, he's 35 years old and he's not one of these guys, you know, Terrence Crawford, when he's out of training camp, I mean, he's not blowing up in weight or anything. I saw Terrence Crawford a few weeks ago at the Shakur Stevenson fight. He looked like he always looks, you know, he doesn't get out of shape. He's not a guy who, you know, drinks and parties and goes crazy in between uh, fights and all that kind of stuff. Uh, you, know, he's more, you know, he spends a lot of time with his kids and all that kind of stuff in between fights. So he's, so he's not abusing his body. And I don't think that he's someone who might pay, as much of a price for there being this long of a layoff between the two fights as maybe someone else. But ideally you'd have a little more activity than 15 months going into a fight. That's going to be as difficult as the fight against Errol Spence. So why do you think this has been so complicated? I mean, Steven Espinoza said something to the effect of, have you met her? Have you met Terrence why... Crawford? <laughs> well, I mean, Look, I, I'm not going to fault Terrence Crawford. Um, no, I'm not. I'm not but, I, but I, either, but but he look, he's not. He go ahead, go ahead. We're going to. No, no. Uh, it, it's just I, I just you know, the, Stephen Espinosa seemed to suggest that like you know this November 19th wasn't really the targeted date as much as people said it was. I disagree. I mean, that's everything I was told was that was the targeted date yeah. for for months now. This has been kind of what they've been looking at, and we have seen Keith so much reporting dating back to like August, like it's right there, it's right there, it's right there. And yet here we are in mid-October and we're not there. And we still don't really know exactly what's preventing us from getting there. Now, I know you you and I talk to a lot of the same people, I'm sure, that, you know, I, I hear a lot of it's being put on Terrence Crawford, like the, the minutia that Crawford wants transparency on. And that's his choice. He's This is the biggest fight of Terrence Crawford's career. He's going to want to make sure that he maximizes his money in a situation like this. What I can't seem to really get an answer to or really or really be sure about is if these obstacles are unable to be overcome. Like you mentioned Spence saying, don't worry, it's going to happen next. You know, other people involved are saying it's going to happen next. But like, when do we start to worry about it? Like the, the well, first date is already blown and we, we've got to be kind of, if we're not in, if, Unless you, I, I don't know exactly what the biggest obstacle is here. I, I don't know. I, it obviously has something to do with money, but I don't know what the biggest obstacle is in preventing this fight from being finalized. Because clearly, 
they've made good progress on it. They just can't get past that final hurdle. You know, I just to to follow up on what I said before, I'm not faulting Terrence Crawford for wanting full transparency and squeezing as much money out of this fight as humanly imaginable because it's the biggest fight of his career. He's 35 years old. And of course, you're going to you're going to want things done. You want every I dotted and every T crossed, particularly because he's coming at it from the perspective of a non PBC fighter moving into the PBC mm -hmm. universe. And of course, he views Al Heyman and and Errol Spence as aligned against him. So, of course, he's going to be skeptical. And I'm not saying that Al Heyman's trying to screw him or anything. I'm just saying that, you know, he's rightfully skeptical because he's not their guy. He's not the guy they built from the ground up. He's, he was a top-ranked guy, and now he's a free agent, as we all know. So uh, so I don't blame him for that. But what I would say as it relates, Chris, to, uh, you know, November 19th being the, the date or February, whatever, it really doesn't matter. There's no deadline. I mean, because unless – either one of these guys or both of them get fed up with the negotiations and just say, I'm going to fight, you know, Keith Thurman, or I don't know who Terrence Crawford would fight. That would make any sense. That's not on the PBC side, but uh, you know, unless they do that and kind of throw their hands up in disgust, this patience is not a, uh, the strongest virtue of, of the boxing Twitter verse for sure. Uh, or, or boxing fans, we want everything, or you know, boxing people, they want everything right now in the, in the immediate. But it's going to take a little while. And if the fight happens in February, or if the fight happens in March, it's going to be a great fight. It's annoying to have, especially from our perspective, because we're, you know, whereas most negotiations were given a, a little more of a, a window into what's going on, they've been very tight lipped about this. And the more tight lipped they are, uh, usually the more sensitive the negotiations are, but also, uh, the more progress they're typically making. Now, this has taken a long time. I'm not disputing that, but it is probably the biggest non-heavyweight fight in boxing. Um, you could certainly argue, and I think we've discussed this on the podcast before, that from a commercial standpoint, Ryan Garcia and Tank Davis might actually do more pay-per-view buys. I think that's a fair argument to make, uh, but it's a huge fight, right? Two undefeated welterweight champions. This has been brewing for three or four, you know, three years, I guess, four years or whatever it is. Um, not quite on the Pacquiao Mayweather level because nothing will ever, maybe ever be on that level again. But uh, but I just, you know, I would preach patience to people. I understand why it gets, you know, you, you go on our website and every day there's something, you know, so-and-so said blah, 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 and so-and-so said this. And, you know, and then you get the comment there. Oh, but, yeah, but, and it's a lot of back and forth and it's, a, you know, it's a lot of uh, mental gymnastics. Nothing's really happening, you know, but uh, so I get that it's tough. To, to wait it out. But, uh, but basically that's what's just going to, and the other thing to keep in mind is there are simultaneous negotiations ongoing for the tank Davis, uh, Ryan Garcia fight. And now which one is going to be first and which one is going to be second. And tank Davis has some out of the ring issues that could alter the date when he fights. And uh, you know, so there's a lot going on here. So you, because you're not going to put these two pay-per-view fights three weeks apart, you know, they're two huge fights. You want them to be able to breathe on their own. And you don't want to come at people for whatever the price the, the price tag on these fights is not going to be, it's not going to be seventy bucks, you know. So you don't want to come at people too soon in between the fights either. Yeah, you'll be talking close to two hundred dollars for yeah. two fights right there. I mean, it's it's going to be a big number. What you're right about patience. It, it does take time to put these fights together. What I wonder. And even though Spence is out there saying, "Don't worry, it's going to be next," I wonder what his threshold is for being patient. Remember, he fought one time in mm -hmm. 2021. He's going to fight one time 
in 2022. This is a guy that wants to be active, wants to stay in, stay busy against top guys, and has a marketable option in Keith Thurman out there as a potential opponent. So I guess that's where where I focus most of my attention. Like, when does Spence say, you know what, this is taking too long. Um, I don't know if it's going to happen in February now. Let's move on to Keith Thurman. We'll revisit in the summer of 2023 or something like that. Now, it doesn't seem like Spence is at that point right now, but I don't know, Keith. It seems like, I feel like he's going to get there at some point. If there's not progress made over the next month or so as we get into November, December, it wouldn't surprise me at all to see Spence decide to move ahead, at least for one fight. Yeah, I, I, there has to be a point where you just walk away from it, I guess. But because uh, at a point, there's nothing else to button up, right? I mean, there's nothing else to take care of. I, you know, I've I've heard things um, uh, as deep in the weeds as he Terrence Crawford wants to make sure that he he has control over where the w- bottled water is coming from and things like that. I don't know that that's true, but those are the kinds of things that are being floated around about every little thing that's being. Uh, you know, being discussed internally. So if that's if that's the case, I mean, there, you could go over every single thing, humanly imaginable, right? Every scenario, and that will take forever to go through that. You know. So what's your gut feeling then, right now? Uh, doesn't happen in November. I think that's safe to yeah. say that's off the table. Yeah, and in December, uh, I feel the same way about December. Um, I, you're getting close to Christmas and all that kind of stuff. So you know, I'd say February. You know, maybe for first again, I think it does depend on the Garcia Tank Davis fight, which is also being negotiated now. And Ryan Garcia's father said yesterday he was at the open workout with uh, Frank Sanchez yesterday for this. Frank Sanchez is fighting on the Wilder Hellenius undercard. And he told a a few guys that uh, the fight is definitely happening. That's what Ryan Garcia's dad said. Now, that's only one side of it, of course. But if Tank Davis really wants to fight, and he has made it very clear that he does. Um, if he does want the fight, there's no reason why it wouldn't happen. It's a huge fight. So, um, so if they're working, you know, the, that plays into this to the Spence Crawford scenario as well. Because again, like I said, you want to space the events apart. And then you're imagine if you're if you're Al Heyman and you're working on two deals that are very complicated with other Crawford doesn't have a promoter, but he's working with another promoter and 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 uh, Golden Boy Promotions. There's a lot going on at the same time. So. Uh, I'm not, I'm not, I know no one's going to feel any sympathy for Al Heyman trying to negotiate two mega deals that for fights that people really want to see, but that is happening in real time. Yeah, no question about that. So let's talk about Ryan Garcia and Tank Davis, because as you point out, negotiations are ongoing between the two sides for a fight between two of the most marketable guys in boxing right now. There have been some optimistic social media posts from both Ryan and Tank, as you mentioned Ryan's dad is out there striking an optimistic tone. Uh, dates of December and January have been floated around. I, I, I'll start on this one, Keith. I, I am getting more and more optimistic about seeing Tank and Ryan in the ring next. I am. I'm starting to... I, I talk to a lot of people about this fight pretty often, and... It sounds like they're getting really close on the money. It sounds like they're right there on the weight, which will be somewhere between 135 and 140 pounds. What I don't know is, have they resolved the broadcast issue? Because that is a mm-hmm. huge stumbling block. Um, Showtime, obviously the distributor of Tank Davis's pay-per-views, 
Uh, DAZN has been, you know, backing Ryan Garcia for the last four plus years. I don't know if they figured that out. And the people involved, whether it's Ryan's dad or managers or promoters, whoever, like, I think they've been focused on getting a deal done between the two fighters and maybe hoping that a deal can be struck with the broadcasters, whether it is a co-pay-per-view, which I don't think is the likeliest outcome, or, I don't know, some kind of shared agreement where Showtime gets U.S. broadcast right to zone, which is global, takes global broadcast rights. Maybe there's something on the back end for the zone. I don't know the answer to that question, but I am feeling cautiously optimistic that Ryan Garcia and Tank Davis are going to fight. It may not be December. Yeah. Um, January, I think, is possible. Uh, I- I'm feeling... <laughs> Boxing does this to me, but I'm feeling pretty good about Ryan and Tank. How are you feeling about where those talks stand? Yeah, I, you know, I, f- I feel optimistic about it because I think from Gervonta Davis's perspective, he needs this fight now. I mean, how many guys... Look, could they go back and do an Isak Cruz rematch? Yeah, sure. Like they could. I mean, he's he's done reasonably decent pay-per-view numbers against people that ordinarily would not fight on pay-per-view because he's that big of a, a draw. And he and he obviously is a draw at the gate. He's he is he is lured big crowds to arenas all over the country. I've been there for the fights. I mean, and they, and these are legitimate gate receipts that they're producing here. So he's you know multi-million dollar gate. So. He's a real draw. Um, but I think from Javante Davis's perspective, uh, personally, he's going to turn 28 years old next month. And he is tired of hearing that. Now, saying that he fought no one is a little strong. I mean, that's a that's a that's a reach. I mean, he you know, he beat Jose Pedraza, but that was five years, five and a half years ago. Pedraza's, you know, turned into a two weight world champion. Um, Isak Cruz is a good fighter. I mean, he's not. uh not an elite level fighter. I saw him struggle against Thomas Matisse. I was there. I saw it on Showbox, you know, but so he's, he's a tough guy. He's a bulldog and he can punch and, and he gave tank a tougher fight than people were expecting. And, and Javante Davis had a hand injury going into the fight. All that's true. Uh, but if he wants to prove it now, you know, as well as I do, if he goes and knocks Ryan Garcia out, everyone's going to say, Oh, well, Ryan Garcia hadn't fought anybody. Uh, Luke Campbell's not any good. And, you know, he's chins up in the air and he's a, you know, he's an Instagram star. He's not a real, he's going to deal with that. If he goes and knocks Ryan Garcia out, you, you do, we come on. We, we know that, right. That's not going to be, well, you, it's not going to be fair, but I that's going to I don't to know happen. if it'll be that. I don't know if it'd be that. You think it'll be that bad? Like, look, Ryan Garcia. Well, there's holes in Ryan Garcia's resume as well, Chris. I mean, there's, come on. Plenty, plenty of holes in it. But I think the, the reason I <clears throat> can be somewhat more sympathetic to Ryan Garcia is that he's four years younger and yeah. he has fought. Luke Campbell, and mm-hmm. he just beat a Javier for two. Like, he's, if he was 28 years old with the same type of resume, I'd be just as critical of Ryan right. as I have been of Tank. I, I don't know that, I don't think he won't get credit for beating Ryan. I, sure, people will, there'll be, there'll be a faction of people mm-hmm. that say the things that you're saying, but Ryan would, in my mind, instantly become the best opponent that Javante's beaten. Like, I think he'd immediately rise above, uh, you know, Benavidez and whoever else is on that resume. Like, wouldn't you? Would you, or would you, where would you put Ryan on that list? Uh, Yeah, look, again, there, there are holes in his, I'm not saying Luke Campbell's not a good fighter. He is, you know, he, he was a better amateur fighter than he was a professional fighter, but that's the best win on his resume. He, he look, 
he beat what was left of Javier Fortuna, let's be honest, right? It's a good win. Fair. It's a good win, but <laughs> Fortuna had been beaten up before. He's an older guy. Jojo Diaz took Jojo yeah, Diaz took the last of exactly, exactly. Yeah. Fortuna. That was a year, yeah. year prior. Yeah. Um and I, I'm not I'm not trying to crap on Ryan Garcia here. I mean the kid's he's a he's a huge puncher. He clearly has like like Gervonta Davis has a huge following uh, away from boxing. You know, people, you know, he's a transcendent kind of fighter and all. Um, and it's a huge fight. And and anytime we can get a what is considered a huge fight that draws attention outside of our ever shrinking world of boxing, it's great for the sport. And that fight will do that. So I just hope that it happens. Um, and look, yeah, he probably, yeah, pro I guess to answer your question, I've gone that in a very roundabout way. I apologize for that. Uh, <laughs> to answer your question, he probably will be the, the best win on his resume. Uh, but, but I'll say this, if if Isak Cruz fought Ryan Garcia, uh, he'd be a live underdog in that fight, for sure. They kick him, he's, he's, he can punch, you know? He can really play. He's a tough guy and he can punch and he'd favor Ryan Garcia, bigger, you know, bigger puncher, bigger guy probably. But, uh, but that's a, that's probably a better win than Geronte Davis is getting credit for, particularly because he was hurt. Um, but that look, he, he's the one who decided to go into the fight with an injury. So that's on him. But, um, but yeah, so probably, yeah, probably Garcia is the biggest win. Let's just hope from a, from a commercial standpoint, for the health of the sport, let's just hope it happens. And if we get ultimately, Chris, with all this back and forth and all of the time that fans feel have been waste has been wasted with the negotiations and the back and forth, et cetera, if we wind up getting Gervonta Davis against Ryan Garcia and Terrence Crawford against Errol Spence in a within a two month span in early twenty three, mm -hmm. I don't know what more you could ask for than that. Yeah, I agree. And I do think there's motivation on both sides to get a deal done. As I said, I don't think there are the financial hurdles that exist with the Crawford-Spence negotiations. I, I just, to reiterate, I just don't know yet how they're going to handle distribution, mm -hmm. how they handle the broadcast. Right, right. That, to me, is the biggest obstacle to overcome and not a – not an inconsiderable one mm -hmm. because, look, I, I understand every, people in boxing bizarrely root for networks. I don't really understand why. They root for promoters. I don't really understand why. But if you look at it from both sides, Showtime has invested millions in Gervonta Davis. They deserve to be involved in the biggest fight of his career. DAZN has invested millions in Ryan Garcia. They deserve to be involved in the biggest fight of his career. I don't know... I don't know if they've figured out how that obstacle is able to be overcome, but I'm optimistic because both these guys want the fight. And if they can agree to a deal that might put enough pressure on the networks to get something done that, that might, that to me is uh, a reason to be optimistic that we see that fight happen. And, and you're right. If we get that fight, if we can find a way to get Spence Crawford in the first quarter of 2023, it's a hell of a start for boxing uh, in that year. All right. Let's talk about a couple of fights happening this weekend. Devin Haney is back in Australia to face George Cambosis in his contractually obligated rematch. The buildup, Keith, has been quieter than what we saw in the first fight, largely because Cambosis has not said much. Uh, Haney won a wide decision in the first fight earlier this year. Um, in your mind, is there any reason to believe that this rematch will play out any differently? 
Well, I don't know that the result will be any different, but I would sure hope that George Cambosis approaches this fight in a different way because I'd have to say that trying to outbox Devin Haney was uh, the <laughs> unwisest strategic move of 2022. Didn't exactly go according to plan, and, and he didn't make many adjustments in the fight. So I think he's going to come into this fight and he's going to try to rough up Devin Haney because that's his only path to victory. It's the only you're, you're not outbox he. He's not capable of outboxing Devin Haney. So if he goes in there and tries to employ the same tactics that he did on June 5th, well, you know, a lot of people are going to be changing the channel by the third round because there's no reason to watch it. You've already seen it play out over 12 rounds. So um, I've been led to believe that he is going to try to make this as physical. I'm not saying dirty, but he's going to try to rough Devin Haney up because what other alternative does he have? I mean, what, like what would make any sense for him to have some semblance of success in this fight than to do the complete opposite of what he tried to do in the first fight. He's not capable of doing that. So he's gone underground, so to speak. He's not, he's not doing interviews even with the Australian press from what I've been led to believe. But I think part of the um, lack of buzz for the second fight is because clearly the only reason that it's happening is because Devin Haney is contractually obligated to do it. And by the way, he deserves a lot of credit for having, now, he wanted the opportunity to fight for the other three titles, but he didn't just agree to go fight him once in Australia. He agreed to go fight him twice in Australia. And while he's being well compensated for it, most fighters would not have done that. So all the people that thought Devin Haney was uh, not a real champion and didn't really want the, the fights that everyone else wanted. Well, he's the one who went and made now, Tifima Lopez took tough fights as well. Obviously, he fought Lomachenko, but um, he made it happen. And he didn't have to make it happen in this way. So he's only gone to Australia a second time here in four and a half months or whatever because he had to. And I think the the lack of buzz for this second fight is strictly based on the non-competitive nature of the first fight. It's not I, Even if George Cambosis was screaming from the mountaintops that he was going to do X, Y, and Z to Devin Haney, I don't really think people would care all that much because they, they're going to want to see it on Saturday night. So... He has the opportunity to go uh, win his belts back and, and prove that uh, that he is on the same level as Devin Haney or at a higher level. I, I don't foresee him doing that, but I, I didn't think he would beat Tiafimo Lopez. And while Tiafimo Lopez clearly had a lot of physical problems going into the ring, it was incumbent on him to pull out if, if he couldn't function at a championship level and he didn't pull out. So you got to give Cambosis credit for pulling off what was a huge, I think, Tiafimo Lopez was a 10 to one favorite going into that fight. It might've went down a little bit before the fight, uh, but he was a huge favorite. He went in there, pulled off an upset. So he's done this before, uh, but I don't have any reason to believe that Devin Haney is compromised going into this fight the way that Tiafimo Lopez apparently was. So I would expect it to play out similarly on, on Saturday night and uh, for Devin Haney then to move forward and fight Vasily Lomachenko next, assuming Lomachenko beats Jermaine Ortiz in a couple of weeks. Now it feels like Devin Haney is, in peak condition right now. When I talked to him for this show last week, he was eating while we were talking. Mm. So, like, it doesn't seem like he's having kind of weight issues. His dad is with him in Australia now, which was obviously an issue yeah. uh, going into the first fight. And I think you're right. I think George Cambosis is going to try to make it a more physical fight, which is the right thing to do because, as you said, he's not the boxer that Devin Haney is. And... Sometimes when you challenge the manhood of Devin Haney, he wants to respond in kind. He wants to show mm -hmm. you that he's more man than you, that he's as physical as you. 
that he's a bigger puncher than perhaps he actually is. So the strategy is smart if that's the way Cambosis goes. I just don't think he's physically able to pull it off. I don't think he's not this big physical guy. He's going to be smaller, really, than Devin Haney. He's a big 135 going into the ring. So I just don't know if he's going to be able to do it. As much as I like Cambosis on a personal level and respect him for what he did in that Teofimo fight. He did exactly what he said he was going to do. He went out, he knocked him down the first round, and he took the fight to him. I respect that. Is he a one-hit wonder? Like, you know, is he the guy that beat Teofimo Lopez, or is he more the guy that was life and death with Lee Selby, that was life and death with Mickey Bay, um, you know, two solid but not spectacular fighters? Is he is the guy that Devin Haney beat who George Cambosis is, which is a very good fighter, but not a fighter on the level of Devin Haney. This is a big moment for George. I just, maybe he's going to prove us wrong once again. He already did it once. Maybe he's going to he's capable of doing it once again. But I, you know, I just don't see. I, I think Haney's just too skilled, and will outbox him. By the way, like I, I just want to give Devin Haney credit here. Like I, I love what he's done with his career. Right? Like, he starts off as kind of an independent operator. He's on Showtime, on Showbox, coming up that way. Signs Betty Hearn, makes a bunch of money, gets a few decent fights towards the end of that contract. And now, he's got, he gets two fights this year. Yes, he has to go to Australia to take them, but he's going to make $4 million for this fight against George Cambos. He made a couple of million for the last fight. Uh, he's the undisputed champion at 135. And at age 23, he's going to go into 2023 with a chance to fight Vasily Lomachenko, Shakur Stevenson, guys like that, and really burnish his resume at a very young age. In an era, Keith, where so many fighters are fighting once and not fighting good fights and the resumes are so weak, good for Devin Haney for kind of seizing control of his career. I know he didn't want to leave Eddie Hearn. He had a good relationship with Eddie Hearn, but he understood that to get the fights that he wanted, he had to separate and go mm-hmm. with a different promoter. He did. And now here he is, like, with all the belts at 135, with money, and with a chance to fight big fights moving forward. I mean, I I just hope, I, I wish, really, that more fighters took this approach and said, look, we're not going to tie ourselves to one network, one promoter, one anything. We're just going to look for the biggest and best opportunities. Because, Keith, whenever guys do that, it often works out. At the highest level, mm-hmm. like Floyd Mayweather did it, uh, Miguel Cotto bounced around from promoter to... To, to, to network for years towards the end of his career to get the biggest fights. Now Devin Haney's doing it, and I hope more guys look to that because Devin Haney is, to me, an example for how not just young fighters, but how all fighters should operate. Yeah, and, and, and in terms of broadening his fan base and everything, too, now he's now fighting on ESPN, which has a reach. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, obviously it's available in 80-ish million homes in the United States and uh, and the and his fights against Cambosis, both fights were shown on the network. They were not behind a paywall. I mean, you have, obviously have to pay for ESPN as part of your cable package, but you didn't have to you don't have to pay for ESPN plus for the for the uh, opportunity to see the fight. So um I, you know, it was a good move on that in that sense too. And now if he let's just say he if he goes and fights Vasily Lomachenko, now I do think if he fights Lomachenko, I believe the fight will be on ESPN pay-per-view. Uh, that's, that's what yeah. I've been led to believe um, from the very beginning. That was the play, you know, reasonable, reasonable. Yeah. Uh, um, but you know, he he still will have uh, had three big fights, uh, and, and for which he was paid a lot of money, of course. But like you said, it's not always easy separating from a promoter or from a 
in this case, a streaming service that had done right by you over the years. Um, and, and sometimes, you know, fighters for all intents and purposes should always do what's best for them because look, mm -hmm. when you, you know, someone knocks Devin Haney out next year or, and then he gets knocked out a couple of times or whatever, and, and no one's going to care. So you gotta, you gotta make, you know, maximize your earning potential while it's there. While he's still very young, obviously he's 23 years old, but, um, but yeah, and and the the one thing I would say, Chris, is I do think that if he fights Lomachenko, which I which everyone seems to think is going to happen, because I do not see Lomachenko losing to Jermaine Ortiz. But uh, assuming that fight happens, win or lose, I, I would see Devin Haney moving up to one forty for the next fight, because as you said before, he was eating when you were on the phone with him, which is a good sign. <laughs> assuming he wasn't doing it for show, is a good sign that he was doing that while he's trying to make weight. But he's a, you know, he's like five, nine and a half like that. You know, it's not easy for him to make 135 pounds. So I would think as he, as he gets older and his body matures here, I think, um, especially if he beats Lomachenko, um, that, you know, then he'll have beaten Cambosis in back-to-back -back fights, beat a legendary three division champion who was a top pound for pound guy for a very long time. You know, you have nothing left to prove at 135. I know people obviously would want to see him fight Shakur Stevenson. We'd all want to see that. But even Shakur said to me, uh, a few weeks before, I think it was when they had the original press conference for his fight against Robson Kinsesau, he said, it always seems like Devin and I are a division apart. And he said, I do think we'll eventually fight, but I'm not sure that it's mm -hmm. going to be at 135 pounds. And this was before he didn't make weight and lost his titles at the scale and all. Uh, but he had planned to move to 135 anyway. But he seemed to think that they would fight maybe at 140 or maybe even 147 one day as opposed to fighting at 135. It makes a lot of sense for it to wait a little while longer because if Devin beats or whatever happens in the Lomachenko fight, win or lose, you go up to 140 and you're a marketable commodity against a Teofimo Lopez, against a Ryan Garcia, against a Regis Prograde. There are some big names right now at 140. So he's he's got everything kind of lined up. And I was talking to him about this last week. It just feels like after a pretty frustrating last couple of years of his career where he couldn't get Teofimo in the ring. He couldn't get Ryan Garcia in the ring. Now he's got the belts, he's got money, and he's got those opportunities to showcase his talent, which is really all he's been asking for. Like, he's been looking for for those opportunities, and now he's going to get them. By the way, the disrespect you're showing Jermaine Ortiz, the pride of Worcester, Massachusetts, is... I'm not sure. I, I, look, listen, good, good for Jermaine. <laughs> look, where he, look where he came from. He was fighting on show yes. prospect. He goes and beats Jamel Herring in a, in a fight that, uh, you know, Jamel's toward the end of his career, of course, but, and, and you know, probably better suited for a weight class lower. But uh, but that's a good win for him. It, I spoke to Jermaine Ortiz on the phone last week. Nice kid. I mean, it's a great opportunity for him and his family and everything. But let's be honest. I mean, Lomachenko is, I understand your Massachusetts bias and all, but, uh, you know, that's it, a tall order. To, I know Silly Lomachenko is not tall, but it's a tall order for sure for him to come into the ring and beat a fighter of that magnitude. What, Chris, can I say one thing too? I, think, yeah. I, I agree wholeheartedly with everything you said about Devin Haney. I also think that George Cambosis deserves a lot of credit because George Cambosis could have beaten Tiafimo Lopez, taken a victory lap in Australia, fight, fought whichever guy, there was an Australian fighter that was ranked in the top whatever of the whatever, and he could have fought him in a stadium or, you know, Rod Laver Arena or whatever it was and done, you know, made a lot of money. And like I said, taken a victory lap and then come in and taken a, a, a real fight, so to speak, uh, around now. And he said, no, I want to go. I want 
but he wanted Lomachenko and Lomachenko wasn't available, you know, whatever. Um, I'll fight Devin Haney. Bring Devin Haney over here. I'll fight him. You know, of course, he, Haney was obligated to do the rematch in Australia, an immediate rematch in Australia, but Cambosis deserves some credit too. I mean, he didn't fight the smartest fight on June 5th, but to take that fight when he could have, you know, he could have fought twice in Australia and no one would have blinked probably, right? And uh, and he took a very tough fight and he and he paid the consequences for it. And now he gets his opportunity to win back his titles. Uh, you know, look, who knows, right? I mean, you'd have to favor Haney to do something similar to what he did four months ago. But, you know, he catches him with the right shot. You know, who knows, you know? You're right. Look, he caught Teofimo with a good shot, knocked him down in the first round, maybe he can catch Haney. And as we said at the top discussing that fight, if, you know, you want to try to get Devin Haney into a street fight. Like, you want to make it more of a brawl than a boxing match. Because I think George Cambosis could theoretically win a brawl with Devin Haney. I don't believe he can win a boxing match. I yeah. think Devin is just too skilled, too long, too everything uh, for George. So in that sense, I am interested to see the style of the fight and if it looks anything different uh, like the first one. All right, let's talk about the fight you're going to be at this weekend. Deontay Wilder, he will end a one-year layoff when he takes on Robert Hellenius. Wilder has been his usual outspoken self over the last few weeks. Some interesting claims about Tyson Fury, about his Hall of Fame status, about a lot of different things. Um, he's talked a lot about the second reign of his. That's going to be fun as he approaches 37 uh, years old. What? I guess the question is, what are your expectations for Deontay Wilder at this stage? What What are you looking for from him as he resumes his career? Well, I think what Saturday night is about more than anything, Chris, is how is Deontay Wilder going to react to what was an indisputable, vicious, violent knockout loss? There's no excusing this one away. There's no... You know, my suit weighed, you know, my uh, costume weighed too much and his gloves were altered and uh, the Durrell brothers were conspiring with people in the crowd. Yeah, come on. The, he lost and, and he, he put up a hell of an effort, man. I mean, he almost knocked Tyson Fury out again. Got him down twice in the fourth round, fought through what I thought. I thought both guys in that fight really thought, fought through some severe fatigue because it's just two huge dudes you know, laying on each other and hammering away at each other. And then, you know, Deontay Wilder was very tired and Tyson Fury showed a lot of fortitude and resilience and came back and viciously knocked him out. Now, Wilder's never been in that position. He's never been in this position that he's going into on Saturday night because he had all those excuses after the second fight, after the rematch. He, you know, he excused it away. He, what, he was knocked down multiple times in the fight, but he was finished on his feet argued that he should have continued. There was no emphatic, conclusive ending to that fight. Whereas the third fight, you can't excuse that away. You can't rationalize that. And you can't, and you're even in your, even in, you know, the depths of your own mind, you can't come away from that saying he just, he's not going to say this because there's a lot of ego involved there, but he knows that Tyson Fury was just better than him. There's no two ways about it. He's not going to say it, but that's, that's a fact. So uh, while he almost won the fight, you know, he, he knocked him down twice and made it a very entertaining slugfest. Um, how does he react mentally? Well, like physically, I'm sure he's fine because while he's going to be 37 years old the week after the fight, he doesn't have as much wear and tear on him as your normal 37-year-old because he started boxing so late. He didn't have as many, nearly as many amateur fights as a lot of these guys. Um, you know, 
he got beat up in the second fight a little bit, but it was only lasted six and a half rounds or so. So, uh, so not as much as a beating as I think he took in this or punishment as I think he took in the third fight. Uh, so not a ton of mileage, but man, that's kind of, you know, he's the guy who remember, you know, he's running, he's the knockout artist of boxing. You know, he's the most pulverizing puncher in the history of this, yada, yada, all this stuff, you know, that, which to some degree was true. You know, I, I'm hardest puncher in the history of the sport. There's no really way to quantify that, but certainly one of them, you know, he knocked out almost everyone he fought. So there's no disputing that. Uh, so you go from having this aura of invincibility, like Mike Tyson had once upon a time, then it kind of gets beaten out of you a little bit. Uh, he's still a devastating puncher, right? So I expect him to come through this fight. Uh, I don't want to say with no problems whatsoever, but let's be honest, like Hellenius is there to be hit. He can punch. He's a big, strong guy, but he's there to be hit. He's slow. He barely moves his head. And Deontay Wilder is, is nothing short of a devastating puncher. So I would expect him to knock Robert Hellenius out on Saturday night. But what happens if Hellenius, who was getting, who, who Konaki honestly was beating up in the first couple rounds of the first fight, and all of a sudden just lands something? Oh, 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 you know, what if, what if that, what happens if he does that to Deontay Wilder? How does Deontay Wilder react to that? That's what I think Saturday night is about more than anything, because we know he's still a devastating puncher. He looks like he's in good shape. He he actually said that he's going to come in tomorrow at the weigh-in. He's going to come in significantly lighter than the two the career high two thirty eight he weighed for their third fight, right? So all of those things seem to be uh, uh, in line for Wilder to look good on Saturday. The question that I have is when Robert Hellenius inevitably clips him with a shot, what happens? That's what it's. I'm not saying it's worth seventy five bucks necessarily, uh, but that's what Saturday night's about. And and one other thing, Chris, because I understand the frustration of people saying like, you know, why is he fighting Hellenius and blah, blah, blah. I don't have a problem with him fighting Robert Hellenius. This is his first fight in over a year. He's coming off a devastating knockout loss. Hellenius is coming off back-to-back -back wins against Konaki, which are, which are very credible wins. And the other thing is PBC's plan all along was – for Deontay Wilder, now they thought he would be defending his WBC title because they felt like he would beat Tyson Fury. The plan all along from PBC's perspective was for Deontay Wilder to fight Adam Konoski at Barclays Center because Konoski is from Brooklyn. They would have drawn a huge crowd. The Polish people would have come out in droves. For, I mean, it was sold the building out. It was a great event, blah, blah, blah. Well, he's now fighting the guy who beat Konoski twice. That makes perfect sense. I mean, this is not surprising. Like, like you could have predicted if Deont last October 10th, if you would say, okay, Deontay Wilder is going to come back and fight, uh, you know, nine months from now, a year from now. Yeah, I think he's going to fight Hellenius. I don't, I don't, that would, connecting those dots was not difficult. And that's ultimately, and also Hellenius was owed a seven-figure payday after beating uh, Konofsky the second time. Well, who are you going to pay him seven figures to fight exactly besides Deontay Wilder? Mm -hmm. Yeah, look, I think Hellenius is a perfectly reasonable opponent for Deontay Wilder um, for all the reasons you said. I, I don't think like, – I, I think the I think his wins are more a product of Adam Kovnowski's weaknesses than they are necessarily a Probably. resurgence of Robert Hellenius. Mm -hmm. I think he's still the same guy that was stopped by Gerald Washington, still the same guy that was stopped by Yohan Duapas. But he does have – those two wins, which makes him credible in this situation. And Deontay Wilder, if he's anything close to the guy we've seen in recent years, 
he should score a devastating knockout win. He should. That should be the outcome um, of this fight. I am curious to see kind of how it plays out, though. Like, is it a drawn-out war where, you know, Hellenius lands some big shots and Wilder struggles with him at times? That'll tell me a little bit something about where Wilder is as he approaches that 37th birthday. So I'm curious to see in, uh, you know, how that plays out in in that respect. Um, as far as kind of the future of Wilder, uh, we don't need to get into the Hall of Fame debate necessarily. That will come whenever his career is over. But look, I think this next, you know, reign, as he likes to call it, is important for his legacy. Because, look, the, the chapter of his career that included the WBC heavyweight title that included the three fights against Tyson Fury, that's over. Like, you know, it was a good run. It wasn't a great run because he didn't get a win over Fury and his best win uh, up until that point was the back-to-back wins over Luis Ortiz. <clears throat> He's going to have some opportunities now, Keith, if he gets through Hellenius, to get some of those legacy-defining fights. If he wins, <coughs> presumably there's a fight against Andy Ruiz to be made in the first half of... 2023 Anthony Joshua is still out there Tyson Fury's even come out and said look I'll fight Wilder a fourth time if he becomes my mandatory for that title I'm not so sure that's I don't know who I don't know if we really need to see that necessarily but you know there are real opportunities for Wilder to establish the legacy that he believes he has if that makes any sense like there this is like a stretch for him the next year year and a half where he can really establish himself as one of the best heavyweights of this era. He's already one of the biggest, if not the biggest puncher of this era at any weight. But in terms of legacy, names on his resume, quality wins, this feels like his opportunity. It feels like that window, Keith, strangely, is now wide open. Yeah, it's interesting, Chris, because I I do see the Ruiz fight. uh, Everyone sees the Ruiz fight is very makeable. It makes perfect sense. They they've headlined back to back Fox Sports pay per view shows here for a reason because you know that you would think that they're on a collision course to fight each other. Now that might not be the fight that Wilder wants or that Ruiz wants, but from the PBC perspective, that's the fight you could make. You'd have two former heavyweight champions. You know, you could put it on pay per view. You know, it wouldn't be the biggest pay per view fight that you could make, but you know, this is the guy who knocked Joshua out against, you know, a long reigning heavyweight champion. It makes perfect sense. Those other fights, Chris, I don't know that those, those fights happen. I don't believe for one second, <clears throat> excuse me, that Joshua was going to fight Deontay Wilder. I don't believe it. Um, it doesn't make sense. He could fight, you know, if he could go fight Fury and, you know, we know what just happened there, but let's just say they could go make that fight or he could fight some, you know, someone else. I don't see Eddie Hearn putting him in the ring with Wilder because he's just such a huge puncher. And then what are you getting out of it at this point? Like he doesn't have the WBC title. He's already been beaten by Tyson Fury. And if the Fury fight is really available for Joshua at some point, I would focus on making that. It just makes much more business sense, particularly in the United Kingdom. Um, is and Now I know Usyk says that he's coming to the fight and he wants to fight Wilder. Why in the world would Alexander Usyk come off of the fight against Joshua and then fight Wilder. It makes no sense. Go fight Fury. All the titles are at stake. You'll go make an enormous amount of money. What what purpose would it serve? From the outside looking in, what purpose would it serve exactly for Usyk to go fight Wilder, the guy who Fury beat back-to-back fights, knocked him out viciously in the third fight? What purpose does that serve except 
perhaps getting clipped by the biggest puncher of this era and getting knocked out. It makes no sense. Am I yeah. right? I mean, it makes no, financial I, sense. I, I think fury. there's there's a lot of there's a lot of posturing going on right now in the heavyweight division where you know people threaten you know Usyk is gonna like you said showing up to the Wilder fight Fury talking about facing Joshua I think ultimately Fury and Usyk get together in the first half of 2023 and that is decided one way or the other Wilder let's see what happens with this fight let's see what happens with Andy Ruiz and then we'll see where the belts are at that point yeah. and what um, what the landscape ultimately looks like all right last thing for you Keith over in the UK. The women's card that was scuttled after the death of the Queen last month, uh, it is back on. I got to tell you, I am very interested in this card. Um, you got Clarissa Shields against Savannah Marshall at the top. But the fight that interests me the most is this Michaela Mayer, Alicia Bumgarner, which quite frankly should be a main event in the U.S. on ESPN somewhere. It's like that spicy a matchup. You see these two just going back and forth, whether it's on social media they were at the press conferences this week, at the fighter workouts this week, kind of nose to nose. They do not like each other, Keith. And this is a quality, relevant fight at 130 pounds, which will pretty firmly establish who the top fighter in that weight class is. So, Shields Marshall, Mayor Bumgarner, which one of the two are you most looking forward to? Well, personally, I'm more looking forward to the Shields Marshall fight just because there's the history there. You know, Clarissa Shields, um, look, she, I don't see any way that she's not the best pound-for-pound pound fighter in women's boxing. I know there are people who said that Katie Taylor, I don't get it. I mean, Clarissa Shields is a three-weight world champion. In her first professional fight, fought someone who later became the undisputed super middleweight champion in her first professional fight and beat her. Uh, she's barely lost a round in, in any of her fights. I mean, she's not a knockout puncher. Um you know, maybe some of that is related to two minute rounds and such, but, uh, but she's fighting a big puncher, you know, a woman, the only woman to have ever beaten her in a boxing match. So that alone, and she's, and she's going into her home country to do it. Uh, that to me is more intriguing just from a boxing standpoint. Now, I didn't think I would have been able to say this three or four months ago, but there is actually more animosity between Michaela Mayer and Alicia Bumgarner than than Clarissa Shields and Savannah Marshall. I would not have predicted that, but there clearly is. So that's going to be an excellent fight as well. But I just think the more, in my opinion, more meaningful fight is Clarissa Shields against Savannah Marshall because she's, the, again, the only woman who has ever beaten her. And, and I mean, seriously, other than her being knocked down by Hannah Gabriels in, in the early, I think it was the first round of that fight, has anyone come close to touching Clarissa Shields? I mean, she embarrassed. She didn't beat Christina Hammond. She embarrassed her. She was an undefeated, world, long-reigning world champion, and she couldn't lay a glove on her for ten rounds. So, she's an elite-level fighter. I understand. You know, I think even if you ask Clarissa in a quiet moment, you know, maybe she's she gets carried away on social media sometimes, and you know, like she's, but she's not. But she's not afraid um, to to voice her opinion and to and to. Uh, further establish her brand. Um, all of that is what's helped make her a great fighter. So she, again, if there's someone better pound for pound that has proven it over the last few years in women's boxing than her, I'd really like a, a real explanation for that because Katie Taylor, you could argue lost to Delphine Pursuit in the first fight. You could certainly argue that she almost got knocked out by Amanda Serrano in the last fight. No one's doing that to now Clarissa's in with a big puncher. I mean, and that's the whole point of the fight, right? I mean, she's, you know, she's not the boxer that Clarissa Shield is. That's, there's no two ways about that, but she can punch. So 
I, I think the intrigue in that fight, for me personally, does it a little more than the Mayer Bumgarner fight. But but that's a very good fight, and it's a unification fight in the 130 pound division, and they what appears to be genuine hatred among them uh, between them is, is, is <laughs> wow. I mean, uh, did she call her a Karen today? Is that what happened? At the <laughs> I think she said? So. I think uh, you know, it's, there's some, there's it's, some language being thrown it's around. It's getting heated yeah, out it's... there in the UK. And the one thing I would say, Chris, that's unfortunate for this, for this event is what, ha- of course, you know, the queen dying is a once in a lifetime situation. And of course they have their protocols there and, you just it, you just feel bad for the for the women who have trained and gone through an entire training camp and they're ready to weigh in and they go through a press conference even and they don't even know up until the minute you know that they're supposed to be in that the fight's off I mean that's a tough turnaround to then go back to the states go back to training camp then come back to you know that, that's a lot to go through you know Savannah Marshall is the best thing that could ever happen to Clarissa Shields because Katie Taylor had. Amanda Serrano, like have the natural rival that led to the great fight this past spring. In fact, Katie Taylor has had a depth of quality opponents that Clarissa Shields has not had, which is not to dismiss Franchon Cruz Desern or Hannah Gabriels or Christina Hammer, but Clarissa Shields is just on a different level than that. Now, she might be on a different level than Savannah Marshall, too. Savannah Marshall has been knocking people out, but Clarissa is fully capable of just boxing circles around her. But we won't know that until the end of the 10th round or whatever round it ends right. in this fight. Right now, it, it it's the most compelling and interested I've been in a Clarissa Shields matchup since she turned pro. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Simple as that. And we, we just haven't had that. Like there was, for a couple of Katie Taylor fights, whether it was... To a lesser degree, Jessica McCaskill, that was at 140. Um, Delphine Pursuing the rematch. Yeah. Obviously, Amanda Serrano. Like, we've been interested in Katie Taylor fights at a high level before the fight. We haven't been as interested in Clarissa fights, even right. when she's fighting for undisputed championships. This time we are, mm-hmm. because Savannah Marshall has the amateur win. Savannah Marshall has knockout power. Savannah Marshall and Peter Fury are talking an enormous amount of shit and have been for months now. It, it, it's just exciting, Keith. I, I love it. I, I love a natural rivalry like this, which I think will... I don't know what it does for Clarissa long-term, but this will be her... If she wins, this will be her signature win. This will be... Even even if she's won undisputed championships before, and this is technically for the undisputed title at 160, uh, this will be it. Whatever she's done, 154, 168... This is her biggest fight, and yeah. it's because Savannah Marshall is such a natural rival to her. Absolutely. I, I agree, Chris. I mean, because the intrigue is there because it's it's pure elite-level boxer against a huge puncher. She's Of course, Savannah Marshall has fought a much lower-level opposition overall than Clarissa Shields has, um, but she's been knocking people out. She's got she's, you know, 12-0 with 10 knockouts, I think, so. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, that that's... That's the intrigue. That's why I'm more to answer your your original question. That's why I'm more interested in it because, like you said, Clarissa Shields has been so dominant. Like you almost go into her fights thinking, all right, well, she's not a huge puncher or anything, but this is going to be a ten rounds to nothing whitewash, and you know who's she going to fight next? Well, this is everyone's wanted her to wanted to see her fight next for quite some time, and now it's here. It's going to be a fun Saturday. Multiple 
Good cards, busy, busy. three different continents, <laughs> men's, women's, all sorts of good stuff. It's the kind of Saturday that uh, boxing needs uh, after the last couple of weeks. Keith, uh, good luck at the fight at Barclays on Saturday, and uh, always appreciate you coming on the Thanks, show. Thanks, Chris. I appreciate it, man. See you soon. And when we come back, my conversation with Caleb Plant. 2000, 2008, 2022. When it comes to the economy, those are some scary years. Dot-com crash, housing crash, and the roller coaster we're going through right now. One thing is certain, it's a dangerous time to not know your numbers. But over 31,000 businesses have the confidence and clarity they need because they rely on NetSuite by Oracle, the number one cloud financial system. NetSuite gives you visibility and control of your financials, inventory, HR, planning, and budgeting so you can manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. Everything you need, all in one place. So, how do you prepare for uncertain times? The answer, NetSuite. NetSuite helps you identify rising costs, automate your business processes, and easily see where to save money. That's why 93% of customers say they improve their visibility and control when they upgraded to NetSuite. So what are you waiting for? Right now, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to netsuite.com slash Mannix right now. NetSuite.com slash Mannix, NetSuite.com slash Mannix. All right, Caleb Plant is the former IBF super middleweight champion on Saturday night. He is back for the first time since losing his title to Canelo Alvarez when he takes on Anthony Durrell. It's a fight you can see as part of the event headlined by the heavyweight matchup between Deontay Wilder and Robert Hellenius. And Caleb is here to talk about his fight, maybe a couple of other things. So, Caleb, it has been... 11 months since your loss to Canelo, the first loss of your pro career. Um, what have those 11 months been like for you? Was it difficult to get past? Was it easy? How would you describe it? Um, well, you know, it was obviously disappointing to lose. I don't get in. I don't think anybody gets into boxing to lose. Um, you know, with some of his other competitors, you know, it seemed like they almost put on. They just kind of showed up for a check, but obviously with, you know, everything I did, the success I had, it's not like I was showing up for a check. So I was disappointed in losing, but that didn't discourage me from, you know, what I want to do moving forward in my career. It didn't discourage my confidence. You know, I'm not the type of person to sit around, look at my wounds and feel sorry for myself. And, um, you know, that may have been my first uh, loss in the ring, but, you know, I take a many losses in life and um, I've had the chance to bow out and, uh, you know, say that this is too much for me. So, you know, one about it, that night of boxing out of 365 days isn't going to, you know, do anything to my confidence or, or discourage me from what I want to do. So it's been a minute since I've been in the ring, but, um, you know, shortly after the fight, me and my team, we got back to work and, uh, you know, cleaned some things up, kept working on a lot of things we had success with and, um, we're ready to fight. So you, so you say you don't, you're not the kind of guy that sits around, and licks his wounds are you are you the kind of guy that kind of obsesses over what you could have done like were you watching it back a whole bunch of times thinking about what you might have been able to do no uh i'm not um the type of guy to look you know too much in the past i i, I, I look back at the fight I, i've watched the fight multiple times i know some of the things that i could have done better and you know moving forward uh, I have that experience under my belt now, and I can, um, you know, sharpen those things up on my team, like I said, and and just keep moving forward. So talk to me about kind of using that experience. Are there things you have been able to take away 
from that experience that you believe will make you a better fighter moving forward? Absolutely. You know, uh, being in that type of situation, being in that environment, in media, I never felt was too much for me, the fight night, the crowd even, but, uh, you know, experience isn't something that you can buy. You got to go through the fire to get it. I feel like I've done that. I feel like I've done that with grace. Um, you know, I went out on my shield. It's not like I just, I quit or anything, but uh, I went out on my shield and um, I, ha I got a lot of respect for the fight after that. I got more respect after that fight, after losing a fight than any fight that I'd ever won, which was crazy to me. But um, so, you know, to these other big fights that I'm moving into, you know, that that's priceless. I want to ask you about something Andre Ward said recently. During an appearance on ESPN, he was asked about the resume of Canelo Alvarez. Here's what he said. It's tricky and it's complicated because on the surface, he's fought everybody, he's done everything, he's taken all the risks. If you know what you're looking for and you look at some of those names he fought, he doesn't have a lot of prime names on his resume. That being said, I think Canelo is a great talent. I think he's had a great career. And of course, he's a Hall of Famer. No doubt about that. But I, I don't know if, I think there's a little bit more window dressing with his record than, than what people realize in his career. So you are one of those names, Caleb. You were undefeated and very much in your prime. You also have a relationship with Andre Ward. What's your reaction to that? Yeah, I mean, um, I think his answer was more detailed than just speaking generally of everyone that he's ever fought. And uh, I'm sure, you know, with you being in part of boxing, I'm sure you know as well, uh, know that as well. But, you know, for maybe some of the viewers at home, um, obviously, it's not like uh, I'm, I'm old or out of my prime, only being 30. So I don't think that he meant that for every opponent that he's ever faced. I just think that he meant that for um, a handful or, or some of the opponents that he's fought. Yeah, certainly, whether it was you, you were much in your prime, Callum Smith was in his prime, Billy Joe Saunders in his prime. He's faced some prime guys. Would you agree? Say again? He, he seems like whether it's you, Billy Joe Saunders, Callum Smith, you know, during that run at super middleweight, he has faced some prime guys. Uh, yeah, I'd say so. Mm -hmm. um, so you're going up against Anthony Durrell in this fight. And I got to be honest, Caleb, I didn't see a Caleb Plant, Anthony Durrell war of words rising to this level. I was at that kickoff press conference in Brooklyn last month, and Durrell, he really went at you on a personal level. And I was watching his interviews this week, and he says things like he doesn't like you, doesn't respect you, and even when this fight is over, he's not going to shake your hand. I mean, has has this animosity that Durrell seems to have surprised you? Um, I mean, it's not surprising just because, you know, from a distance, you can kind of see how he carries himself and, you know, the things, the, the antics he tries to pull before fights, I mean, even when he fought Badu Jack uh, years ago um, at the weigh-ins, trying to get, all, get all, run, all, run after him, get all up in his face, acting like he was going to fight him. And, you know, same thing with Sakio Bika. Um, so, you know, no, I've been around boxing a long time, so nothing surprises me. But as far as, like, us hanging out or kicking it, you know, I, I've never really even had an interaction with him. Um, so uh, if he thinks he hates me now, then, you know, come October 15th, he's going to have a lot of reasons to hate me. So, uh it's almost like he's turned this whole thing into like some type of therapy session talking about how he don't like me and nobody else likes me. And, you know, as if I would care about any of that, I'm not in boxing so that, you know, my competitors, the people across from me like me, or, you know, I don't concern myself with that. I can concern myself with my team and focusing and staying on the straight and narrow. And, um, 
you know, but he's easily distracted by a lot of things. You always see him yelling at the, talking to the ref, crying to the ref, talking to the crowd. And um, he, he don't need to be worried about how I carry myself or what I do. He should be focused on himself. And maybe if he focused on himself more throughout his career, he may have had a successful title fence along the way, but he's never had a successful title fence. Felt kind of like we're back in high school with some of that. Like, I don't like you and everybody else doesn't like you either. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like some high school drama to me. I, I don't concern myself with things like that. I'm focused on the task at hand. Um, I'm a competitor. I'm a high-level competitor, world-class competitor. And, you know, I could give a shit less, you know, if people don't like me or, or uh, you know, he says I'm an asshole because after the fight is done, you know, the way I carry myself or act, but I've always shook my competitors' hands. I've always uh, respected them for getting the ring with me. But then here he is saying that after the fight, he's not going to shake my hand. So, you know, uh, kind of ironic. Um, but he's an idiot. He's a dumbass. And after this fight, he's going to be retired anyway. So it ain't really going to matter. Are you expecting a tough fight? Um, I'm ex expecting a vicious ass whooping. So. <laughs> um, you have a new voice in your corner for this fight. Stephen Edwards, a well-known guy in boxing, worked with J-Rock Williams, former 154-pound champion, among others. He will join your father in your corner on Saturday. Can you explain why you felt the need to kind of build out your team for this fight? Um, yeah, it was just kind of a situation that came about. And so, you know, there's a, a few guys in boxing whose uh, opinion I respect um, on a level for them to, you know, be able to be in that position. And um, he's one of them. So he's um, even before we got together and he was on, on this team, he's someone who I would reach out to uh, to ask about scenarios in boxing you know, what he thinks about this scenario, what he thinks about that. And uh, he's got a really analytical approach to the game as well, you know, as do I. And um, so I really like that about him. His, his fight IQ is really high. He's also a boxing historian, which I respect. And, um, you know, so uh, he came to Vegas and, uh, you know, we got some work in. It went real well. I went to Philly a couple of times. I got some work in. And the chemistry has been great. Um, even before, like I said, he got on the team. But obviously being on the team, the chemistry has been great between me, him, him and my dad and all three of us has uh, been real seamless. And so, uh, you know, he, he's a perfect fit. He's a great coach and uh, we're excited to, you know, you know, fin uh, finish out this journey together. Was this a reaction to the Canelo loss? Did you feel after that fight you needed to add something else to get to that next level? Uh, no. Uh, last question for you. Uh, you, you've said many times you want to get back to the top. You want the rematch with Canelo Alvarez and that you're willing to kind of face those top names and go out there and face those top guys to do that. You are promotionally in a great position. You're under the same banner as David Benavidez, Jamal Charlo, among others, including Anthony Durrell. A lot of guys though, seem to be only fighting around once a year. How confident are you that you can be active enough to get those fights, to get back to the level where you want to be at? Um, well, right now I'm really just focused on 15, the October 15th you know, um, and, and handling business and fashion, you know, I don't think it would be wise of me right now to get too concerned with who I'm fighting next or how many times I need to be fighting or, you know, anything of that matter. I'm, I'm really happy with how my career has been handled up until this point and thus far with Al Heyman and Luce Cubis and PBC, they've done a great job. Um, you know, if you, you know, like you just said, I'm in a great position. I'm in one of the best positions in boxing and that's only with 22 fights. Um, and that's a lot less than a lot of most of these guys. So, I'm happy with where I'm at, but right now I'm just focused on the task at hand with this weekend, October 15th. And then, uh, you know, we'll look to move forward and, and see what's next for the future. 
Caleb, it's good to have you back, man. Um, glad to see you in a position to get more big fights. And uh, thanks for your time. Yes, sir. Thank you. And when we come back, this week's picks brought to you by FanDuel. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Now, I'm supposed to talk here about what I remember and what I loved about my first car. And that's easy for me to do because I still have my first car. And as long as it keeps running, and so far so good, I intend to have that car probably until the day I die. Uh, That's how much I love that car. It is like a child to me. Now, it does require some upkeep, and that's why I'm grateful for a place like eBay Motors. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED lights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is... And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, elite bucket getter let's please welcome jamal crawford to point game king of the court one-on-one tournament if they had it back in your prime do you think he could have took it all i'm gonna be honest with you i don't think i could have took it all but i think i would have shocked a lot of people i think kobe and everybody in their prime kobe would win a one-on-one contest yeah yeah because you gotta think he's gonna guard he don't care about guarding He's going to guard. He's going to exactly. guard. Like, you see him in the Olympics, exactly. he's going to guard. And then on I'm top of that. like that, see that? Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. And then his, he's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college? Because he ain't need it. <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now is the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Join today to get started with $150 in free bets guaranteed when you place your first $5 bet. That's free bets back if your first bet doesn't win. Just sign up with the promo code BOXING. This is a big boxing betting weekend for me. Three great cards, three different continents. I'm going to be gambling on boxing all weekend long, and I'm going to be doing it with my FanDuel app. FanDuel has all your favorite bets from the money line to point spreads to player props. You can combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with a same-game parlay. With live betting, you'll get updated odds on games that have already started. Get paid your winnings fast with FanDuel. All in an app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Don't fumble your chance to get $150 in free bets, win or lose, with promo code BOXING. Make every moment more this season with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. Time now for this week's picks brought to you by our friends over at FanDuel. And this week, 
I am going to do something I have never done on this podcast. I am not only going to pick one fight, not two fights, not three fights. I'm going to pick four fights. I am going to give you four winners. That's eight bets in total to make that I think will help you get rich this weekend. I am very confident in my picks going into this weekend. I want to start with the heavyweight fight between Deontay Wilder and Robert Hellenius. Wilder returning after a year layoff. Hellenius, he's got some momentum after back-to-back wins over Adam Kovnowski. Wilder's a big favorite, understandably so. Minus 850, according to FanDuel. I like that bet, though, a lot. You can park your money on Deontay Wilder. He is going to win that fight. He's also going to win by knockout. Minus 350, not the best of odds, but Wilder doesn't go to decisions. He doesn't. He wins by knockout. So if you bet big on Deontay Wilder by knockout, you have a chance to win some money. Uh, over in Australia, Devin Haney against George Cambosis. Devin Haney, minus 1,100 right now. Again, not great odds. But Devin Haney, I think, showed in that first fight that he is on a different level than George Cambosis. And I just don't think that Cambosis has the skills to be able to make the kind of adjustments you need to make to be more competitive against Devin Haney. So take Devin Haney to win at minus 1,100. I think he wins by decision as well. Minus 250 there for Devin Haney by decision. George might attempt to make this something of a brawl, in which case we could see a knockdown, maybe two knockdowns. But Devin Haney's strength is as a boxer. And I think he wins this fight by decision over in Australia, making it two straight against George Cambosis. Uh, over in the UK, Michaela Mayer, Alicia Baumgartner, the co-main event of the big ESPN women's show this weekend. Michaela Mayer, minus 350 favorite. I like her a lot to win this fight. Baumgartner, she's got power. No question about it. You go back and watch that one-punch knockout against Terry Harper. That will show you the kind of power that Alicia Baumgartner has. But... I think Michaela Mayer is a more skilled fighter. She's a former Olympian. She's got more depth to her resume. She's faced more top fighters in and around her weight class. I think Michaela Mayer is going to win this fight. Now, how she wins, Michaela Mayer is another one that doesn't knock a lot of people out. So I think she wins by decision as well. It's minus 230. So around the same odds for Michaela Mayer to win and to win by decision. But I think that's how this fight ultimately plays out. Great fight. A lot of bad blood between these two women. I think it could be fun as long as it lasts, but I think Michaela Mayer, a little bit better than Alicia Bumgarner going into this fight. The main event over in the UK, Clarissa Shields against Savannah Marshall. The rivalry finally finishes in the ring between two women that have been circling each other since the amateur days. Clarissa Shields, just a minus 136 favorite to win. At one point, she was an underdog. I didn't really understand that. Savannah Marshall's a big puncher. Excellent fighter. But Clarissa's just next level good. And Clarissa's talking a big game about going and hurting her and knocking her out. We'll get to that. But I think Clarissa Shields wins this fight. And I think she has the skill set to win it convincingly. 160 is a good size for Clarissa Shields. Savannah Marshall's always dangerous with that right hand. She's going to be in great shape. She's got a great corner in Peter Fury. But I think Clarissa Shields uh, wins that fight. How she wins, she ain't going to win by knockout. So your best chance of winning some big money here 
is to bet on Shields by points or decision. Plus 110 to win by decision. That's that's a bet I'd make big. If I'm going to make one bet and I'm going to go big on any of them, I would go big on Clarissa Shields by decision. She is an active puncher, a volume puncher, but no matter how much she tries to be, she's not a big puncher. And I think she's going to have a tough time hurting Savannah Marshall. I do think this fight winds up being an 8-2-7-3 type of decision. I think Clarissa Shields is just on a different level skill-wise than Savannah Marshall. But this is your chance to make some money. Clarissa Shields, plus 110 by decision. Bet on that. Bet on all four fights, and we will reconvene on Monday and see how it came out because I'm doing it. And I intend to get back to my winning ways. It's been a tough couple of weeks with bets. Thank you, Sebastian Fundora, for not being able to finish off Carlos Ocampo last week. But I think this is the week I get untracked and like I do it with four big wins. Those are my picks brought to you by FanDuel. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.